0: or tell that person in high school how much you like them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. That's plushcare.com slash loss plushcare.com slash loss
0: My guest today is Barbara Dixon, OBE, singer, songwriter and actress. Barbara is a multi-million selling record artist with an equally impressive Olivier Award winning acting career and has firmly established herself as one of the most enduring and popular artists in Britain today. She is best known for her acting roles in Blood Brothers and Band of Gold and her 1985 single, I Know Him So Well, recorded with Elaine Page and taken from the musical Chess, which reached number one in the UK, selling over 900,000 copies worldwide. Whilst Barbara remains modest about her many achievements, she has 17 platinum and gold albums to her name and she remains Scotland's biggest selling female singer of all time. Married with three grown-up sons, Barbara lives in Edinburgh, and 44 years on from her first headline tour, she is still going strong with her new studio album, Time is Going Faster, and is going back on tour in spring 2022. She is a true Scottish sensation and I'm honoured to have her on Sliding Doors. So welcome to the podcast, Barbara. Hi, Jenny. It's lovely to join you. Oh, I'm so excited to chat to you. I mean, you're a very treasured person in our family. You've worked with my mum for many years. And actually, this is the first time we've, I think, we've actually met, and it's virtually. So it's very nice to see your face.
3: I think I once rushed past you leaving a theatre somewhere, and you had very kindly. <laughs> been inveigled by your parents to come along and watch me play so it was very sweet somewhere like the Bridgewater in Manchester yes. but yes it's it's lovely to get to know you in this yes, way here it's I am
0: lovely oh thank you so much I mean does it sink into you when you hear all those things about your career that that's actually you I mean you grew up in a small town in Scotland um and I guess I'd just love to know a bit more about what did you want to be when you were younger
3: well it's an interesting thing is isn't it a case of you know you don't really know when you're older if you wanted to be something or you just or whether your parents um played music and you listened to it and you thought oh I can do that. Yeah. I mean, you don't know it. And some of it is dreaming, isn't it? Because you have no idea that you're going to become successful and be able to spend all this time doing something lovely like that and get paid for it. It's just a matter of luck. But actually, If I think about it, I was always able to sing really well from a very early age. My parents never put me in for talent shows or anything like that. They never did anything competitive. My mother was from Liverpool. She played records all the time. She had the radio on. So there was music going in the background, both popular music and classical music. So consequently... I grew up with music around me. My parents sent me to piano lessons. So that that was a serious attempt at making me uh, channel what musical ability I had. So it wasn't frivolous. But it was never considered to be a career. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if I had done better at school, I would have been a teacher, but I failed my 11 plus, which was very significant where mm-hmm. I lived. And um, if you failed your 11 plus and you were me, you went, oh, well, there's no point then. There's no point in education. Who cares? You know, I just, yeah. I don't care. And I think it maybe made me more competitive and I thought, right, I'm going to show them. Mm-hmm. I think those are kind of encapsulating how I felt about the world and how I felt about music as a child.
0: Definitely. And it's really nice to like know that you, know, you built your career on something that you just loved to do and you were good at. And you, as you say, you were never forced to, but music was around you and it was part of your life growing up. I mean, so, I mean... Looking at your career, you've done a lot of folk kind of music and I've been reading up on all of that kind of world. But you also then transitioned into pop. So like what what is your favorite type of music when
3: you really like if you were to sit down and listen to something? Well, I absolutely love music with depth.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: so, for example, um, classical music, uh, you know, I love everything from Mahler to Vaughan Williams. I love folk music, but I'm not crazy about diddly, 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 jigs and reels particularly. It's the songs mm-hmm. I love. It's the deep and meaningful stories and important stories that folk songs tell, you know, love and loss and parting and heartache yeah. and, and lo- big loss in folk music, you know, in hundreds of years ago people all over the world identified with stories of other people and their lives I've always been very interested in history so the music ties in with that I love folk songs I like contemporary songs written in that style so they're about important things Um, I've always loved Bob Dylan and James Taylor and uh, Paul Simon and writers like that Randy Newman who who write things that mean something Totally Having said that I was a child in the 60s so I like the you know the moon in june the yeah. beautiful carol king pop music i see the merit in in all sorts of music so i'm not really i'm not a musical fascist but i'm a bit of a musical snob
0: yeah well listen we all are and i think you're right like i think you know music i love music that resonates with me when you really listen to the words and they make sense or they have a meaning and it you then you connect and that's how we all connect with music um I mean, I mentioned before as well, you've won an Olivier Award, which is an incredible achievement to have as well. So with the acting and the singing, what what do you actually prefer doing? Like if if I was to say to you now, you could, you know, do a big singing tour, you could go on a massive acting job. What would be your, what's your favourite?
3: Without a a Without a beat, without missing a beat, I would say music is Mm -hmm. fundamental to me. It's absolutely fundamental. It's in my soul. It's in my heart. And even when I was acting in Blood Brothers and I was acting in John Paul George, Ringo and Bert, it was the music that attracted me to being in those those shows and my connection with Willie Russell came through music as well Mm -hmm. because Willie is a folk musician like me we had that sort of depth of experience when we were young we knew each other well I knew him before he was a playwright so there's this huge connection of people going on and the way I feel about uh, people's lives and my experiences comes through Definitely through music and Mrs. Johnson, the character in Blood Brothers that first of all, I played and then subsequently I played uh, Viv Nicholson in Spence, Spence, Spence. But but these were people who had something to say, the characters. It wasn't really I want to act. It was I would really like to try and get into the shoes of that person both with Mrs Johnson in Blood Brothers, who was like an amalgam of all sorts of Liverpool people I knew. Yeah. She was a combination of my mother and my Auntie Ivy and all sorts of women in Carrington Street, Liverpool, where where my aunt Auntie Ivy lived. And also in, with Viv Nicholson, I, I, you know, I wanted to experience what it would be like to crash into, you know, have your life crash into a wall at 60 miles an hour, which you did for Viv Nicholson. Those things had meaning Mm -hmm. and that's what made me want to do them. But music, I mean, if um, Angie rang me up and said, we want you to do um, six dates starting tomorrow, I would go out there just with a guitar, look at a, get a nice frock out the wardrobe and away I'd go.
0: I love it. And I think that's what's so brilliant about what you do and what makes you unique I think you 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 do things that have depth but also have meaning to you and you can relate to everything that you do and I think it comes through as the authentic kind of person that you are um which is brilliant what would you say is your your personal biggest achievement so you know we can say how many records you've sold and the big things but to you what what really do you kind of be like that's the biggest thing I've achieved in my
3: career Gosh, you know, there are a few. I mean, getting an OBE for my musical contribution in uh, 2002 was very special to me because I got to meet the Queen. Oh, did you get the Queen? And it was was being recognised. Yes, the Queen gave me the, the, the award. And so that was really amazing. Um, I love that, but um, my Olivier was. I've I've got actually got two. I've got one which is uh, which was the Society West End Theatres, which predated uh, when it changed to Olivier. Mm. Those are very special to me.
0: Yeah,
3: I mean they're more special because I kind of stepped sideways to become an actor, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 very they're very special. You know, I jokingly say to people. I'm not a proper actress, but I've got <laughs> two Olivier Awards. And it was because of the work I chose to do. So they are—they were arduous jobs. I, I don't really find acting easy. I don't find the theatre easy. I find it so tough to go there every mm-hmm. day, six days a week. It's very, very yeah. hard for me. I'm much more hard than doing a tour, which is over in six weeks in the theatre. You're there for six months, nine yeah. months, possibly a year. Mm-hmm. So... I would say that my OBE, my Olivier Awards, I mean, I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't say being number one was that special. I mean, it was okay, but it was just, it was just a milestone, you know, it was nice, but... But, but there, those other things sort of mean more
0: in a way. Totally. I mean, you can't really beat meeting the Queen. So I think that may be the, <laughs> your best forever. She, <laughs> was,
3: she is great. I love her. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, and
0: then just touching on, so the obviously the theory of the podcast and what we really love to delve into is that sliding doors theory. Um, everything happens for a reason, fake coincidence. And you did mention luck a bit earlier on. What are your beliefs around... Um, you know, everything happens for a reason in your life? Like, do you believe that? Do you think it's, it's a mixture of that and luck or hard work? Like, especially like in relation to your life and what's happened to you?
3: It's a very interesting question, Jenny. And actually, it is a combination of loads of things. And all of what you've just described is in there. I think things do not happen for a reason no but if you kind of put yourself in the teeth of the gale you are likely to be hit by the wind and if that wind is really positive it will it will get you further on Mm -hmm. it, it in where you want to go and it's all down to choices it's all down to choices if you say i I would like to be this, or I want to do this. So therefore, when an opportunity comes along, I'm going to set myself right in the middle of that. And if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And there's nothing you can do to yeah. make things happen, because people can say, "I don't think that person's very good," or "I don't, uh, I don't think they have a future in this world." Or, but it's kind of opportunities, taking opportunities, luck to some extent, but I'm not sure that luck is as as important as just putting yourself somewhere where people can notice you. I met a person called Bernard Theobald who was... um, very ambitious on my behalf and became my manager. So that's a help as well. If you have somebody rooting for you, yeah, and trying to get opportunities for you, that is really helpful. But you yourself have to make the choices and say, no, I don't want to do that. But control, um, to a large extent, is vital. You have got to hang on to your... Uh, if you uh, without being pompous your dignity your yeah. integrity you've got to hang on to that if you don't care about that yeah go on x factor and all those uh, uh, vocal competitions on on television and it's so true everything you've said and i think you know you're
0: you're really inspirational because you you do stand true and i feel like the decisions you've made along the way you've really thought about them for yourself and what's right for you and you've been very but as you say you don't know when opportunities are going to be presented to you. And it's kind of like, do you go, like, you know, as you say, you, you're like, I'm not an actor. But if you hadn't have taken that opportunity and done it, you wouldn't have realised how good you are at it. So it's such a fine balance, isn't it?
3: It's also interesting that you mention acting because I literally had to be backed into a corner to do <laughs> Blood Brothers because I was so frightened because yes. I thought I can't, I, I've never done this. Why would I think I could do it? Um, just because I'm a good singer and my mother comes from Liverpool, what makes me, th- what makes anybody think I could be Mrs. Johnson? However, what I have got and what was helpful to me was I listened. Yeah. And I learned. I had a very good teacher and a man called Chris Bond, who was the director. I listened to him and I he took me metaphorically by the hand and said, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You can do this. And I did recognise certain things about Mrs Johnson from my experience of working class life and my family in Liverpool. But I had no idea. So I was very,
0: very scared. Oh, well, thank goodness you did take it. And I think you also make a brilliant point. We all need that champion in our lives to push us to places. Um, and I think that comes through a lot in your Slime doors moment. So we're going to get right into it and talk about your Good. first moment. So... Good. When you were 21, um, you were invited to go to Denmark for three weeks for a singing engagement, but you weren't permitted to take annual leave from your job. Um, You were reluctant to resign due to the fear of the future and not having any work, but you made the decision to go. So this is a real sliding doors decision. Um, So do you want to just explain a bit where were you working? What was the singing opportunity you got offered and how that all came about?
3: Exactly. It was fundamentally uh, seismic the change of that one incident in my life I was working the civil service I had failed to get many qualifications at school so I'd gone into the civil service which is where you went if you didn't have many qualifications mm-hmm. and I was working as a clerical officer I had been in the civil service for about four four or five years okay so I had been there paid my dues by the time I I had this happen to me I was working in Edinburgh living in a tiny a little flat in the centre of town and going to folk clubs all the time and enjoying all that and learning songs and just playing locally but earning a few bob from Mm -hmm. playing as well but working every single day going to registrar general's department in the centre of town to work on wait for this codes to do with causes of death in scotland Wow. So it was like a very, very primitive computer, like a little machine, and you put in a code for what you, on a death certificate, the person had had actually died of. Wow. Usually there's three things there, uh, what the person's suffering from, but you had to decide what was the underlying cause of death, put it into a machine. I actually found it very interesting. It wasn't. uh, didn't pull me down at all. Anyway, I liked the people I worked with. I was working in town. Of course, I got money every single week or every single month. That was the thing. Suddenly, I was invited to go to Denmark for the singing engagement. Now, that was the crux. So I went to see the personnel officer and I said to him, what do I do... And um, I've got the singing engagement. They all knew that I sang. And I said, can I take leave? Now, I don't think you got three weeks annual leave then. So it was more than annual leave. And I said, oh, can I take unpaid leave? Can I just disappear for three weeks and then yeah. come back? And he said, no, you can't do that because it's more than your annual leave. Um, you you're not allowed to do that. You mm-hmm. can't borrow leave from next year. And I said, well, can I just have unpaid leave? Can I just go? Yeah, can I just go? Don't pay just me. just dis- yeah. disappear and then come back? And he said, no, you can't do that either. He was a very nice man called Jim Lyle. I, I remember him. And um, he sort of slightly humorously said, no, there's nothing I can do. When I said, well, I have no choice. I'll have to resign. For someone like me, who was very cautious, you can yeah. tell that I'm a cautious person. I went, what are you doing? I could just hear my father saying, for goodness well, sake. I was
0: going to say, like, what did... Because, pet,
3: you know, your parents are like, keep, you know, my, it's, it's just drilled into you to keep money going. And, you know, keep... My dad had his <laughs> head in his hands. He said, you had a great job there with a, a fantastic pension when you're 65. And why are you doing that anyway? The thing... The thing that was fundamental was that even then, in my slightly rebellious uh, idea of going to Denmark, the thing was I said to myself, if you don't go there and take that opportunity, you will regret this for Mm -hmm. the rest of your life because you'll never know what it was like. Now, I tried to compromise. I tried to go and come back again. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do that. So I was plummeted into being professional, which of course was horrendous because when I came back from Denmark, I had to sign on. Yeah. At the labour exchange in Dunfermline, I had to give up my little flat because I didn't have any money Mm -hmm. and go back and live with my parents who of course were, you know. I mean, did you get the whole,
0: did you get the whole we told you so? I feel like if I did that with my mum, I'd come back and be like, told you. they,
3: they just said, that was, that was really silly. But my mother actually was more sanguine. My father was the one who said, I don't understand what you're doing because he and I really clashed, my dad yeah. and I. And um, anyway, so I went back and they were fine. They were cool because that's what parents do. And uh, t- uh, took me back in again. And I kind of camped out with them
4: mm-hmm.
3: and signed on. And I... I hated signing on. I hated signing on because they said to me, what do you do? I said, I'm a musician. And they said, yeah, but we, you know, we, we haven't got any jobs for musicians. And anyway, <sighs> cut a long story short, I got an opportunity via a wonderful man called Hamish Imlach, who was a very famous Scottish folk singer. And he, I I don't know, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I spoke to him and he said to me, Barbara, the thing is, you will never get work in this one area of Scotland. I didn't have a car. He said, what you need to do is cast your net a bit wider. And he said, I suggest that what you do is, and he suggested this, He said, come with me to... He was playing, he was playing, he was quite well known in three places over a weekend. He was playing in, wait for this, he was playing in Sunderland, Sheffield and Liverpool on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And he said, come with me and do a little floor spot, like three songs in each of those places. I bet you you'll get work. He was absolutely right. And from that... I started to earn a living. That was before I had a manager yeah. because I was a professional musician before I met the manager. And it was the manager who saw me playing in a folk club completely on my own with a guitar, like like Homeward Bound, you know, the, yeah. um, the suitcase and guitar uh-huh. in hand of Paul Simon. That's exactly what I was doing.
0: What an amazing story. And I mean, do you think, so obviously, you know, you did, you went to Denmark and then you did come back and you did have to sign on and everything. But do you think, that gave you the confidence to do that those three gigs like do you think if you hadn't have gone to Denmark you would have then taken the gigs and then it would have started your career that kind of like what if you'd not have done it?
3: I don't think any of that would have happened. I yeah. would have come back and gone back into the civil service yeah. and just be able to do little things locally because I had to go to work every day. I mean, I was desperate, Jenny. Yeah. I was desperate. I wasn't desperate to be a success. This is what I always say to people. I, I didn't ever want to be a star. That wasn't, that, that's not anything to do with folk music mm-hmm. and earning a living. I just wanted to earn a living when I met my manager I was in the Midlands down in working in the the Birmingham area when he saw me play but and that was um uh, about uh, three years later so I mean I was a jobbing folk singer at that yeah. time but totally professional and I was never penniless either once I actually turned professional it was okay you dedicated and I mean what What do you think
0: Barbara will be doing now? Do you think if you hadn't have taken um, the singing engagement in Denmark? I mean, do you reckon you just would have stayed in the civil service? Do you reckon you would never have? Because it sounds like you really just had that gut feeling and went with it. So if you hadn't have done it, do do you ever think like, what would I be doing
3: now? I don't think I would have ever become professional because I think I would have nickel and dimed myself into nowhere. Yeah. And and actually, I think I probably would have got married. I might maybe the marriage wouldn't last. I mean, I I, when I was very young, I did fall in love with somebody. And um, if he'd asked me to marry him, I would have been married very young yeah. and probably had a family and 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 maybe stayed in the civil service or retired or something. It's possible. It's possible that I, if I'd taken that easy route, I would never have become uh, well known. Totally. And it's not even worth thinking about a world without us knowing
0: who Barbara Dixon is. So I'm very, very <laughs> glad that you did take that. Um, So on to your second moment. So in 1974, you went to Liverpool to join the cast of John, Paul, George, Ringo and Bert, um, seemingly for three months. But you said this utterly changed your life. So um, but you actually didn't become an actress then. You were working on it as a musician. So explain why did everything change for you? Why is this a sliding doors moment for you?
3: Well, who would have ever thought that I would have ever been in the theatre full stop. That was re- That's really encapsulating the sliding doors moment. What I was doing at that point was I was a thoroughly professional folk singer, Mm-hmm. Um, I was friendly with Jerry Rafferty and Rabnox and all sorts of people who were well-known singer-songwriters on the periphery of the folk scene. And Jerry Rafferty was, of course, uh, in pop music already. So I was sort of on the on the, the kind of periphery of pop music, but I was not a success. And I did not have a record contract. I'd had a couple of record contracts with Decca as a folk singer and d- done some recording. So I, I, I knew Willie. Russell from uh, my, my earlier life I'd met him in Edinburgh and when I went to Liverpool to play in folk clubs I used to stay with him and his wife mm-hmm. I read the script of John Paul George Ringo and Bert which was Willie's show commissioned by the Liverpool Everyman Theatre mm-hmm. while I was lying in bed he gave it to me as a draft and I read it and he said well I just don't really know how to do the blah 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 read it and I went, it's fantastic. Now, the music in John Paul George Ringo and Bert was, it had to be Beatles songs. Mm-hmm. To My mu- favorite. But he was, it, it was not a jukebox musical as such, but he used Beatles songs and he wrote a couple of songs for it to indicate something he wanted to say in the plot. But basically it was Beatles music he there was no talk of me being in it I had no idea I didn't just wanted your opinion and wanted to see what you thought nothing at all nothing at all I just read the script and went, this is brilliant oh god I must come and see it anyway uh it happened that he got in touch with my manager I did have a manager by this time and and said wouldn't it be good if Barbara did the music for this because it would take it away from the original Beatles recordings? If it was the four actors who were singing and playing the Beatles or being the Beatles singing, it would be immediately compared to the original versions. And Mm -hmm. everybody thought, this Is not a good idea we shouldn't do that we should take the music away now of course I didn't know that I had such a different take on music that it would be sensational because I was a folk singer and I had a very very folk style and it was very sad and it was very simple and kind of forthright and and by luck and sheer luck people when they did see the show went Oh, my God, that music that I didn't know that music could sound like that. And it was accidental. I was not being clever. It's just what I sounded like. Totally. So that is why I did John Paul George Ringo and Bert for three weeks or three months. or I think it was three months at the Everyman, maybe not as long as that. And of course, it went to London. Now, the company at the Everyman were very distinguished. Anthony Sher was there. uh, Bernard Hill Trevor Eve, George Costigan, uh, Philip Joseph, uh, there were all sorts of people who went on to have very stellar careers were Amazing. in that company. They were in Liverpool. And so I went to join them and they all went, Who's this? You know, <laughs> a friend of the director and the playwright. <laughs> oh yeah, somebody's girlfriend. So anyway, I turned up, auditioned, got got the job because the director went, Yeah, I know exactly what Willie's talking about here. So I did it and we became a company and we were in Liverpool. The next minute we were in London looking for places to live. Amazing. Nobody lived in London then, yeah. none of us. We it's a big deal for... to go to London. Yeah, and we were in Shaftesbury Avenue in the Lyric Theatre and the people in the box office were saying, absolutely true this, they were saying, oh, I'm not sure about this show. They're not real actors. They're from Liverpool. <laughs> How they were wrong. I'd not known that. I would have gone and punched them on the nose. <laughs> you could almost do that in a box office, couldn't yes. you, because it's so small. Totally. But anyway, that is why I went to Liverpool. And I wasn't an actress. But, of course, Robert Stigwood co-produced John Paul George Ringo and Bert with Michael Codron, who was a distinguished theatre producer. But Robert Stigwood was an impresario who'd already, he'd got the Bee Gees and he'd got the Cream guys and lots of other people besides. had a very small, perfectly formed roster of artists on his label and suddenly Barbara Dixon was in the show and we did the cast album of the show and the label manager from... Robert Stigwood spoke to me and I got signed to RSO Records. And that's what made me a pop star. So it wasn't just going into the theatre. You see, the theatre enabled Robert Stigwood to sit there on the stage saying that woman's quite interesting. I must see if there's anything we can do to tie her up with what we do. And Chris Yule, the label manager, came along to talk to me. The next thing was I got signed up and I did answer me with Junior Campbell, which got into the top 10.
0: How incredible. And it really shows that You know, you can take on one opportunity, but you never know where it's going to lead to. And actually, you would never have known that's where. And it it was the catalyst to kind of bringing everything. I mean, what I really wanted to ask you is when when Willie first asked you if you wanted to kind of do the music, what was your first instant reaction? I mean, did you, again, like, did you need coaxing into it or did you think, you know what, I'll just, it sounds interesting, I'll take it on?
3: I think I was very worried about it because that just sounds that's me I mean you speak yeah. to your mum about that <laughs> that's, Caution. that's what I'm like but actually um I think I was very nervous because I because I think I thought I'm going to have to play and sing play play the songs as well so um I was worried in rehearsal uh, terms because there were three people only in the band because they didn't have any money for artists to play. So um, I opted to play the piano. Now, I'd been trained in the piano as a child, but I hadn't ever played the piano as a folk singer. Obviously, I played the guitar. So I'd I'd opted to go towards the piano. I'd never played it in public. So this was the thing. It was extraordinary. I was kind of having to mainly play the piano and, and sing the song. So it was it was a real departure for me yeah. because I was singing all Beatles songs in an arrangement. Oh. I was sort of arranging them in a very simple way to make them very direct. And also, I wasn't that sophisticated, a musician, mm-hmm. and playing the piano chords, some of which are probably wrong. And there was no musical supervisor. I was...
0: You were it, it with the yeah. two
3: musicians in the band.
0: What an amazing risk to take and I think, you know, as much as you talk about you're a cautious person, I I really think you've taken the right caution with everything you've done in your career because as you say, you would never have got your record deal if you hadn't have done that and even, you know, even just being exposed to London. I mean like, you know, it we we talk about London night like, these days it's probably quite different, but I'm sure like back in the day like, you know, a, if you'd have thought about yourself in Scotland, you know, being on the West End in London, you would never have believed it.
3: It was unbelievable. I was already at that time living in the East Midlands, but I'd never lived in a massive city before. I never in my life thought I'd come and live in London. And once I came to London, I was there for 18 years Mm -hmm. because of course this was the sort of height of the pop stuff and all that. So I had experience of living in London. I loved London, but I only left. Because I had three little children and I thought it would be nice to bring them up in the country. That's why I left London.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a very good segue into your final moment talking about your married life and your children, which takes us back to Liverpool, actually. So in 1982, you went back to Liverpool to appear in the original production of Blood Brothers, which, um, as we said, you won your Olivier Award for. And it was there that you met Oliver Cookson, who was on the book in the show. You got together and have now been married for 37 years and have three grown-up sons. So this is a brilliant office romance, if we really think about it, you know, meeting your the love of your life at work. So do you kind of remember the first time you saw him? Was it an instant attraction? What happened?
3: <laughs> the interesting thing was the first thing he ever said to me was he came up and he said, "Hello, I'm Oliver. Would you like to join the tea club?" <laughs> he was he was a, a, a assistant stage manager at the Liverpool Everyman in the days when they had, you know, a few stage managers and uh, and he was trained at Central School of Speech and Drama in London. Uh, he was from Richmond in Surrey, so yeah. he was a southerner um, with a very lovely speaking voice. So it was the first thing I remembered about him was what a lovely voice he had. Not just not just his accent, but the timbre of his voice oh, was very yeah. nice. And he was lovely. He was. Of course he was much younger than me, so I didn't see him in in the terms of him being a partner okay that 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 was a sort of gradual thing, but to begin with, I just thought what a nice person and we used to all go out in a gang after rehearsals and have a drink and talk and when the show opened we'd we'd go across, we'd go rushing across Williamson Square to the pub and have a drink and talk and stuff and I got to know him very gradually, which mm-hmm. was lovely so i I gradually Uh, got to know him. And uh, we got together, actually, when Blood Brothers was in London... So there was the transfer in 1983. It was the very end of 1982. I'll carefully gave that date to you that I went to Liverpool. It was December. So it was really most of Blood Brothers, the original sort of a success and and profundity of it was happening in 1983. So it was the spring of 1983 when I got together with Oliver. And when I left the show towards the end of 1983, he'd already left because he'd gone to work. At the BBC, and the pair of us were actually together then. So we got properly together during the course of the run of Blood Brothers. I moved house from Clapham to East Twickenham, and he came and joined me in in that house there. And the following year, we got married. He was that by that time working at the BBC, yeah, because we said to each other, Look, I'm going to leave Blood Brothers eventually. But Oliver has been trained for the theatre. Yes. And we said, we're never going to have any domestic life because he's going to be working every single evening. He's going to be going out to work at five o'clock. So he went to the BBC. That's basically why. And I left Bro- Blood Brothers at the end of 83 and we uh, he proposed to me. So that is what happened. And in the summer of 1984, we got properly married and I... Was at the very beginning of the relationship, and for about six months, I thought, This guy is so young. Well, he was 11 years younger than me, and I thought, I'm not sure that, you know. And I kept saying to him, When I'm 70, (laughs) you're going to be 49 or 59. You're going to be 59 I'm 70. When I'm 80, you're going to, you know, I, I will do that <laughs> Go, that go through. And say, you'll be wheeling me about in a wheelchair. And, you know, are you going to want to do it anyway? He said he would and he promised to and we got married in church. So he said it in front of God, which is Brilliant. very important. Very and, good. There, and here we are, 37 oh, years later. What a fantastic
0: later. story. I mean, because, you know, really, if you hadn't have done the show, like who knows if your paths will have crossed. I love these moments when, especially when you meet someone um, through a job or through just just that moment. And I mean, not that I want you to think about this, but do you think about like if you hadn't have done Blood Brothers, you never would have met Oliver, and like where would have life been now?
3: It was well. I mean, if you if you take it back to the original sliding door moment, I would never have been in yeah. any of these places. Yeah. So the original sliding door moment is the one where I went to Denmark, but. If we'd said, uh, if I'd said no to Blood Brothers, I cannot do that. I would never have met Oliver. I might have met somebody. somebody. I was in my sort of mid-30s. I might have met somebody. But you know, would I have been married to them for for 37 years? Yeah. I mean, I did want to have children if I met somebody. I was mm-hmm. never prepared to have a child out of wedlock. I'm too old fashioned for that sort of thing. Um, and I think... I might not have had, if I hadn't met anybody, I would definitely not have had children Mm -hmm. and I would have been um, on my own. Now, a lot of people are fine on their own, but I think I sort of, I don't think I flourish on my own because I'm such, I think all the time, I live in my head. Yeah. And so I think I would have sort of gone a bit bonkers.
0: Yeah, well, thank goodness for Blood Brothers, because not only did you win your award, but you also met your husband and you had your beautiful boys. Um, So this is a hard question. I think you'll find it hard to answer. But if we reflect on all the three moments we've discussed, which one do you really think is the most important decision that you made? That like if you'd not have done it, and I think you may have already answered, just life
3: would have been totally different. Without a doubt, it was going to Denmark in 1968. Without that pivotal thing happening, there have been lots of other pivotal things, but that was the main pivot, because I would, could possibly have still been in Edinburgh, having never been well-known, and people would not know who Barbara Dixon was.
0: Yeah. And thank goodness, as I said, a million times they do because we couldn't have a world without you. Barbara, it's been so lovely to chat to you and you give out such a brilliant message and, you know, you can be cautious in life and you can think about things, but you can also take risks and they pay off. And I've loved listening to your moments. I think they're fantastic. And keep doing your singing, your touring um, and just doing everything that you love and being authentic to yourself.
3: Thank you so much, Jenny. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And it's a very interesting concept, what you're doing. And well done for coming up with it, because I think that it, it makes the, the guest think in a different way. And that's interest as interesting for the guest as it is for the listener and for you. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much, Barbara.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share, and subscribe. Thank you so much.
4: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,